All right, what's going on, everybody? This is Pat and Sean back again doing some podcasting. This time, me and Sean are going to delve into something that we're both a little more knowledgeable about. Uh, I found a book at a thrift called The 100 Greatest Comic Books. So I figured it'd be something interesting we can kind of go through. It's got prices. It's got a little bit of backstory about them. It's got all the things you need to know. Uh, Sean, you got any input on your your comic history? So um, I've always loved comic books. Yeah, um, I was introduced. My friend's brother had this awesome collection of mostly Spider Mans, but a lot of you know like Bronze Age comics. Yeah, just kind of the random like. Yeah, he was a splattering of comics. He was a few years older than us, but we just loved like the concept of like stories in a book and panels, and we loved drawing. Me and my yeah. buddy Chris. I think out, that's what pre- that was. Shout what, out to Chris Kennedy out there. That's what brings you in is like a lot of the artwork, especially the covers and like big splash pages that yeah. you see. You're like, wow, why aren't all books this way? Because I'm the worst at reading a regular book, but I'll read a hundred comics in one sitting. Yeah, and there's, I mean, you just like, you know, like I said, we love to draw. So, like, we were influenced so much by just like, you know, older comics in general, you know, like I said, like your Bronze Age stuff. Um, like, even I was going back and looking at some of my old drawings and like, or even when I, I'm sorry, when I started like cracking open some older books. When we were, when we would draw, you know, it's like the little like circle in the corner with the oh, page yeah. number. I'm like, oh, it's like, you know, obviously we didn't think that we got that from these old books. Like just little stuff like it's, that. You it's know? weird things that you pick up and weird little like social cues that you understand. And that's why I think this book actually was something that I picked up because it does have a lot of comics in it that are important, but they're a little lesser known almost. Yeah. So I figured something fun would just be kind of going through them and some of them we're going to spend more time on. Uh, some of them we're just going to gloss over super quick, but yeah, I figured we could get started. Uh, number 100 Looney Tunes and Mary Melody's comic number <laughs> one. Um, I think obviously this just kind of makes the list because of the fact that it's Looney Tunes first comic. It's kind of the introduction of people diversifying cartoons into more of than just like show pieces and more into like hard copies that kids can just buy, and it seems like an easy cash grab, right? And this is what's the year on that book? Does it say 1941? Right, is so when it first came out. I'm sure you know a lot of kids didn't have TVs. You know, some was, did, some didn't. You know? I was when I was reading through, <laughs> I was wondering that was TV around pre? It would have been around pre 41, maybe right? Uh, it was probably I don't. I'm, no, you I know should what? know that. Like, I, I think don't think it would have been because World War II wasn't a hugely televised it, war. It wasn't until after. It wasn't until like Vietnam, I think that. So I mean, you got like even going back to the roots of like Spider Man. I'm sorry, uh, Superman. They used to do that show on the radio. You it, know? Radio so. shows, or because um, Looney Tunes and Disney both did a bunch of propaganda for World War II. I think. right. So I'm sure they've just been tied up in American history. Since the dawn of time, essentially. Yeah. I, it's one of those things like not everyone had a TV, but, you know, it's like, oh, I can buy this comic off the newsstands. All these, yeah. all the rich kids in my school that have TVs are talking about this Looney Tunes, you know. I yeah, go, they all <laughs> get and, in the loop. And I think they played them because if I'm remembering correctly, comics or at least cartoons were played before regular movies for everybody. It wasn't right. like a kid's thing at the time. Yeah. It was, they were like, holy shit, we can draw stuff and make it move on a screen yeah and people were just blown away i mean i'd rather watch like a bugs bunny cartoon before a movie than like all these like ridiculous oh shitty ads about or, uh, like people not talking <laughs> this actor was in forrest gump can you guess oh, who it was <laughs> i wish i love it's like the outline like of that. his head <laughs> yeah it's always the easiest questions they're like they're like 
who is the main star of Mission Impossible. <laughs> Hint, he's good on a cruise. <laughs> and you're like, that doesn't even make sense. And it's Tom Cruise. And I need a harder question for the next yes. one. Because uh, my popcorn's almost gone. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll eat all my popcorn before movies. Oh, yeah. Um, so we'll just jump in. 99, nothing crazy. It's called Jungle Comics number one in 2004, valued at six grand. Yeah. The big thing behind this one was it was one of the best pulpy, more uh, like sensual style covers. So I know. Is this, it a Tarzan character or is it a different character? It's not the Tarzan character, but I think it's a really similar character. Yeah. But this is the first mention, <clears throat> at least in the reverse order we're going in of that book. I was saying, uh, seduction of the innocence though. Oh yeah. Where this was one of them. <clears throat> yeah. This is, this one's definitely in there as long as same with our next one, but it's basically cause it's just a lot of just like sultry women on the sure. front of it. And this is pre comics code people. Yeah. It was pre comics <laughs> code. And I think, um, seduction of the innocence was the first thing that created the comics code. It, it, it certainly was. If you want to go ahead and give the, the listeners a little background on that particular yeah, book. Yeah, so basically what Seduction of the Innocence was was a book written by the authors completely going to escape me. But what it said was people were complaining their kids were basically pieces of shit. <laughs> and instead of them taking their own responsibility for it, this guy wrote a book and stated that the whole concept for it was comic books, all these images that people are getting – and that's what kind of led into all comic books passing this comics code that had a bunch of insane arbitrary rules. It was the reason you didn't get vampires or zombies in comics yeah. for a really long time. Couldn't even use the word zombie. Yeah, you, they had to. <laughs> I know Marvel skirted around the rules somehow. Doing they'd call like, them like the undead or something. Yeah, they, yeah. it's an undead. Or ghouls. It's, <laughs> I think that was banned too. They it's use the word stupid ghoul. shit that. Comic companies eventually realized that this doesn't change anything. So they were like, yeah, you just banned a list of rules that we couldn't use anymore or words that we couldn't use. So they just made up their own and were yeah. like, he's not a vampire. It's Blade the Daywalker. <laughs> <laughs> he walks during the day. He's got to be fine. Shout out to Gene Colan, first uh, illustrator of, uh, of, of Blade. Blade. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And uh, shout out Mahersha Ali for coming and taking over. He's going to yes, be the new Blade. That's right. Hope I'm thinking Phase 5 for Marvel. We're going to see Blade coming in. Oh, I I can't even keep up with these phases we're anymore. At, they're <laughs> at four, four starting now, but I just do not see him coming back in. Uh, the next comic on here, 98, is just a small blip. It's called Cerberus the Aardvark. I wasn't super familiar. Sean, you said you had at least heard of it. I had heard of it as far as it like influencing certain okay. people. I want to say, don't quote me on this, anybody, but I feel like from a different podcast that I had heard that uh, it had a lot of influence on um, Bill Watterson, okay. perhaps, it, or one, you know, Calvin and Hobbes, something like that, not necessarily superhero comics. And, and I can see that even with just the small image they give, kind of the eye style and like yeah. that, the very simplistic like art style on the cover of this definitely gives that vibe. Uh, yeah, the big thing that the book was saying about why it was so important was just its ability to um, to kind of cross more adult subjects while still being a kid's book. Yeah. I believe it came out in 1977. Right. So it's kind of right in that era when comics start 
taking a turn. You're growing up a little bit. Yeah, I think it's more. It's less younger kids only reading it, and right. I think older people, like you, people from the '40s, are now, you know, in their '40s, and they're like, "Yeah, I still want to read a comic, but I wish it had a more." adult theme to it and that's what's cool about this list of 100 we have in general because it's not all superhero comic books it, it's a little exactly bit yeah. yeah and the next i was gonna say the next one after it definitely displays that but i think that's the cool thing about going through these is that another thing with this Cerberus book is it helped create the independent comic market in general yeah so which is a lot of these books are doing things that are help getting the wheels in motion of other big comic things that we take for granted now yeah that back then they were like we couldn't have an aardvark fighting zombies <laughs> talking about losing his dad right they were like yeah that just doesn't work and if there's zombies involved uh kirkman probably was uh influenced by this with your with your walking dead i was right? gonna say yeah, oh, yeah i definitely see some uh kirkman style zombies on the front here there you go thank, um, thank the aardvark yeah <laughs> Uh, to our earliest book, I would think. So the next one is The Brownies, their book, which hits pretty close to home <laughs> for Cleveland fans just because we are the Browns. And I'm guessing this is the first publication of what Brownies looked like. So Brownies essentially being an elf. Oh, the elf. Yeah. So this was printed in 1883 and was basically just a compilation of stories that the author Palmer Cox uh, brought together that were basically folklore stories. They jammed them together, drew some art with them. Yeah. And it was... What year is that? Uh, this came out in 1883. Oh, so, shit. yeah, I think it's probably one of the earliest comics on here. They have it quoted in 2004 at $4,000 for a 9, 9.2 rated comic. Probably like a first edition if they had multiple editions. if they had multiple editions stuff like that um but yeah it's basically it's kid it's like a bedtime story type thing yeah is my from what i understood and then they also just worked with turning uh brownies into a bunch of different random uh stereotypes for people <laughs> such as the dude which was palmer cox's personal favorite Representing sophisticated New Yorkers. Oh. And I love that it's called The Dude. Because <laughs> now that makes me think absolutely nothing of the New York City. Oh. Or sophistication. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, he's The Dude. Oh, real sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a fancy word back then, I guess. Yeah, that's how they came up with uh, The Dude and Big Lebowski. They were like, what's a good word for someone real sophisticated? Yeah. But we want to just rip him. <laughs> we just want to destroy him. Um, one that I'm sure everyone's familiar with now, but might not have known was a comic, Little Rascals. Starting oh, okay. off as our gang, I was never a huge Little Rascals person, to be honest. But I see why it's on the list. It definitely is something that I guess has kind of lasted through time. Yeah. Has Little Rascals done anything since that one movie? Um I feel like I heard something about a reboot because they're rebooting everything. But I don't think – I think Little Rascals was something not of our time. No, well, the original, no. This was like, yeah, like Dawn of TV. Yeah, they were definitely like an that. early TV. And from what I've heard, I guess – I don't know if it was like these kids were abused, but I think it was more so it, like they um, they all just had like – it was like they're the original child stars. So down the line, they all had troubles, if yeah. you know. Well, and even – I was just um, – just happened to be watching a clip from like the new – or not new, but the 90s Little Rascals. Yeah. And even all the characters in that, I feel like none of them went on to be 
anything. I think a few of them, a few of them are like character actors still. Yeah, you know? maybe like some character actors. But yeah, it just it was never something that I got into, and I yeah. can really see the issue nowadays that people are like, "Hey, where's any of these kids' parents? <laughs> like, this kid's driving a car, and he's like eight. Yeah, and they're <laughs> everyone's just totally fine with. There's it. There's two of them in a in a jump in a long jacket. And oh, that's like an adult. I love. <laughs> That's the best trope ever that <laughs> still gets only used in, like, cartoons. Yeah. But they actually try to pull it off in a movie, and you're like, this is amazing. Right. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, once you get your hands on that little rascal's money, you know, it's hard, oh. it's hard to keep your nose clean. Yeah. I can. I was definitely going to say, I imagine most of these kids just all became heavy drug users. <laughs> that seems like anyone who was in The Little Rascals just yeah. happened to grow up to be a hardcore <laughs> Method. They call him like a user. Be like, I prefer the term rascal. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a piece of shit. I'm a rascal. <laughs> um, we're gonna move on to number 95. And just so you guys know, we are not gonna be going through the whole book today. We're gonna just be doing this piece by piece a little bit, um, so that way you guys can get some more information. Yeah. And as they start getting deeper into the list, they're definitely gonna become more familiar with everyone. Um, I think the first 10 at least are very historically or culturally impactful, but maybe not necessarily the number one thing you think of when it comes to comic books. Right. There's uh, some good ones coming. Though. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Superman, Peace on Earth comes in at 95. Uh, the big reason for it, I think, is less about the actual comic, more about the person who drew the comic. Uh, which is none other than Alex Ross, who has gone on to do a bunch of different stuff. Um, I know the big thing that Alex Ross gets claimed for is his painting style of doing comics, and everyone gives him a lot of credit for, as they say, knowing when to stop painting. <laughs> uh, I think that when Alex Ross was coming out was a heavy time that you had your Rob Liefelds and your – uh, Todd McFarlane's people like that that just so many details so many little things over the top over yeah. the top it's a million pouches it's a guy's got like 42 <laughs> knives on him for some reason <laughs> um but no Alex Ross does a really good job of just simplifying art that if I were gonna hold or put a piece of like DC comic art on the wall honestly I think an Alex Ross piece would be the one just because it does have this nice warmth and like I said, he kind of knows when to stop, which is everyone's big claim to fame for yeah. him, is he just doesn't do too much. And you can kind of take in these nice oil painting-esque um, you know, blocks and still have really good stories. I can't believe I'm totally blanking now on what the other Alex Ross comic is that he did. We're going to look it up, though. That's why we have cell phones. Yeah, it's a that's a really nice, you know, soft, kind of different approach at comic books in general. Um, yeah, I think it was something totally new at the time, too. I mean, it's almost like if, like, Norman Rockwell did a, a that, comic book. That's you know? even um, in the article that kind of quote that style of yeah. it just being a warmer thing. And I think, especially at the time in, you know, the 90s, you're just getting people who are blowing pages. Like, there's so much color. There's so yeah. much everything. Every other thing is a splash page, yeah. Exactly. But it also reminds me of, I don't know if you're familiar with Drew Struzan. Mm -mm. He does all, he's the movie poster guy. Okay. So, like. 
So, I mean, like countless. the Star Wars, the Indiana Raiders Jones, of the Lost Ark, yeah, all, all those. The, okay. I mean, but he's done like tons and tons of movie posters, but it's that very super hyper realistic. He's actually probably even more realistic. He probably <laughs> oh, <was> yeah. <laughs> wouldn't have stopped. His, um, is he still alive? I, I believe so, yeah. I follow him on Instagram, so I, I think was gonna say someone's they, running it for him. I but. know they did, he did the Star Wars prequels. But I don't think he did. So he wasn't the ori- didn't do the original movie posters. But when they uh, did the um, re-release special edition ones in '97, he, yeah. he did those. Po- and they're beautiful. Yeah, I had actually had a poster when I was a kid of all three of those: New Hope, Empire, and Jedi, like together. Yeah, and they're all just. I mean, it's so. Re- I mean, like you don't think that it's a painting. You think it's just it looks a like photoshopped a photoshop image. Yeah, yeah. But it's he does it all by hand. Um, they Drew Struzan is actually we're getting a little off topic here, but he was. Um, He's a character in like a Stephen. What is that movie? Was it Stephen King? Someone plays him. Uh, oh, Thomas Jane, Punisher, somewhat related to comics. Classic, yeah. <laughs> but he's supposed to play a character. I can't remember the movie, but he's he plays an artist, and the artist he's supposed to be in the thing is Drew Struzan. Is Drew Struzan? Yeah. Wow. It's like, um, oh, what the hell is it? I can't. I think it's a Stephen King thing. I, I was know. gonna say, and it. Stephen King has made so many fucking movies that people don't even realize that. Stephen, one, cocaine's not cheap. So you gotta <laughs> you gotta sell a couple fucking scripts. Yeah. But he used to, um, I think they were called like nickel scripts or something like that. Where if you if you wanted a script and were able to like make a movie, he would sell you the script for mad fucking cheap and just get like some back end residuals on it. But he would just let anyone... That's why there's so many Stephen King movies right. that even when you're watching it, I think of Stephen King is just horror movies, your Cujo's, your It's, yeah. your stuff like that. But he's Shawshank. The uh, short stories, yeah. Yeah, he does a lot of short stories that end up becoming... Like Green Mile's like five pages or something. Green Mile... He get, wrote Green Mile and Shawshank. Yeah, and they're both short stories. Yeah, yeah. and it's... Which are probably two of the best prison movies to ever be there's probably a stephen king influence like comic i want to get my hands on that he did um that dark tower was that a comic that wasn't a comic was it no, no that no, was no. A, their books but the, i'm sure but i feel like one at least one of his books had to have been done as like a comic book adaptation yeah you know? there's definitely an it uh comic adaptation yeah, floating absolutely. around out there because i just know horror people have to have more information yeah. and there's always just those weird people that just love drawing clowns and oh yeah in, <laughs> in a very it, scary fashion it is one of those books i guess it's two books but um one of those stories that has so much more fucking jam-packed into the actual books than the movies are ever going to detail because i'm pretty sure in the books it the clown or it whatever it's supposed to be is his Arch rival is like a fucking tortoise with the universe floating on its back. Yes. yes. Like there's a lot of fucking real out there. Yeah. You could tell it was getting to the end of the bag for him. (laughs) And he was like, all right, it'll be on like a fucking turtle flying through the sky. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like something out of a a Dr. Strange book or something. It really (laughs) does sound like comic book type shit. And did you ever see the, um, the TV movie version of it? Of it, yeah, yeah, with Tim Curry. I see. I never yeah. saw. Does that go into that a little bit more at all? Uh, I don't know. Not really. It, there's a. I think that's one of those things they just left off. It's the so. Fantastic. But I do know that like it's all like all his books are connected, like It and Dark Tower and all that shit. There's so. a um. There's a show that is on. Fuck. I want to say maybe Showtime or something. That is about the city 
that a lot of his stories take place in somewhere in Maine. Gotcha. And yeah, it kind of has a lot of, it just brings in the whole Stephen King universe and, um, kind of just like jumbles it all together and uses like pieces parts. Yeah. For some reason I felt really weird saying Stephen King universe. Cause <laughs> I think there's a show called Stephen universe. There sure is. Um, but wrapping up on this, um, Alex Ross yeah. Superman. So this was after death of Superman, right? I Which believe was a so. Big book. It'll probably be down the list. Yeah. Cause this further. happened. So right now, or, so spoiler alert, they brought Superman back to life. Yeah. If, you, <laughs> if you're listening to a comic podcast and didn't know that, then you've truly fucked up somehow. Yeah. Cause DC loves nothing more than just killing Superman for a little bit. Right. But, yeah, I'm assuming – let's see if we get an actual date on here anywhere. 99. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely way after that. But kind of a return to just clean art in comics, which I think a lot of people have drawn from. And that was a cool time for Superman because that was also coming off the success of Tim – not Tim. Bruce Tim's Batman, animated Batman series. Correct. And then he worked on the Superman one. Which was pretty good, not as good as the Batman, but it had that same that art style that was really cool. So oh. I think that late '90s was a good time for Superman, and then like the Lois and Clark. Uh, I think TV all show. I honestly, that Bruce Timverse is yeah. shout out to Watchtower Database, it's okay. a YouTube channel. But I fucking fall down a rabbit hole with them every night. Yeah, of just figuring out why a certain bat suits in the Bat Cave, or they're just picking apart <laughs> stuff. I think that honestly, the Tim Verse is the best representation of DC Comics. Yeah, hands down, almost on par with the regular. As far comics. as as far as like a, a media. Yeah, version, as a media uh, ver- um, yeah. version, and for what they could do, I think that was one of the top yeah. notch ones. Um, we're gonna skip over here to number ninety four, Casper. Not too, too much to say, in my opinion, for Casper. But that book's worth a lot, right? Yeah, this one, uh, in 2004, I know that we're, you know, 16, 17 years back on the pricing, but this book ends at 2004 (laughs) on pricing. Um, In 2004, Casper was was valued at two grand. Okay. And that's for a 9.2. Wow. Um, But I was just never a big Casper person. The movie, I like whatever. the movie, and the movie from the '90s made a ton of money. Oh, it was just one of those movies that was done well and it had heart, and people loved and it. And I don't think it had anything to fucking do with the comic. Uh, probably not. <laughs> I, you know, like I don't think the three brothers, yeah, were ever in the comic. Who's the girl in that? Is it Christina Ricci? Yeah, yeah, dude, Christina Ricci just anything with ghosts in the '90s. Yeah, she's spooky. She's spooky. Uh, she, she doesn't need the I- Adams family either. She's just spooky on her own. She just had. Some eyeliner, and they were like, <laughs> "Dude, put this bitch in everything yeah. with a ghost." Um, now the there's, <laughs> I think they reference it on The Simpsons. There's a uh, kind of connection. They think that Casper is Rich Richie Rich's Rich. Ghost. That is, <laughs> I love that. I I love weird stories like that. That reminds me, and I'm sure I'll bring it up again whenever we get to the one inevitable Daredevil comic in here. But that reminds me of um, the chemicals that hit. Matt Murdock's right. eyes. You were talking about this are yeah. allegedly after they hit his eyes, drip into the sewers. Yep. Also in New York City. Yep. Ninja Turtles, baby. And I'm pretty sure the hand was, and the foot. Yeah, and the hand is Daredevil's number one enemy. The foot is the Ninja Turtles. Yep. I mean, stick and splinter. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and then that bleeds into the Frank Miller verse because you know he worked on Daredevil a lot. And exactly. Then the hand actually shows up in. Um, uh, the Wolverine run that him and Chris Claremont did. That so Claremont. I wonder if it was because I know someone has confirmed that 
I think these guys, when they hear some of these fan theories, as long as it doesn't fuck anything up, really, yeah. they're just like, sure. yep, that idea yeah. is great. <laughs> like, I, that was my plan all along. <laughs> I think, uh, who was it? Well, now universally hated human being J.K. Rawlings. <laughs> uh, she did that a fuck ton with uh, Harry Potter shit. Of just people being like, oh, I think Dumbledore's gay. And she's like, yep, you're right. He is a $2 bill. Yeah, like, it's just weird shit that people would just make up. And she was like, sure. If that's what keeps you buying these books. Yeah. Because she is just a colossal piece of shit. She's like, oh, you're counting your money. I'm sorry, what did you say? What was that? (laughs) No, I wrote them in a coffee shop. (laughs) She seemed like... On a napkin. I guarantee you, she is probably just a fucking character of a person that's just the fucking worst. Yeah. Like, she just probably is the archetype of someone that when you see him, you're just like, yep, I haven't even spoken to you, and I just already know... You suck. For some reason, people love the f- the downfall of a good author. I don't know why yeah. everyone's out to get these bookworms, well, but like well, that was the other big one. Like you know, like oh, J.K. Rowling, uh, tr- uh, you know, transphobic, canceled. Now the the original one I'm thinking of is the guy that wrote that book. Uh, it was called like A Million Little Pieces or something. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he. And they're like, he made up the whole thing. <laughs> it's yeah, like, he, who cares? He, it's a book. <laughs> it's a. Book. You know what? That the Million Little Pieces dude got fucked up though because. If he wouldn't have gotten that Oprah book club sticker, right? Because he pulled the wool over Oprah's eyes, and as soon as she found you don't out, fuck with Oprah. Yeah, Op- Oprah's been quiet lately, but back in the day, especially, <laughs> you're not fucking with Oprah. I mean, she's still extremely wealthy. Oh yeah, people are always like Bill Gates, this Elon Musk, that dude. Oprah is just like sitting over here. Oprah got banked, yeah. dude. And I, I heard Oprah has this badass comic book collection. Oh, I'm, I'm making that, that would up, be so I, sick <laughs> if, if Oprah was just like just the ultimate true. comic nerd, <laughs> and she was just like, "Yeah, I have every comic." At a certain point, she has the money where she could just be like, "Yeah, I have all the comics." Yep. Like, there's not a comic I don't have. She's like, I don't even like them. I just get them so you guys can't get them. So you can't have <laughs> like them. Like the ultimate troll. She's just using them as coasters. <laughs> Action one. Put your cup down on it. We're going to keep referencing Simpsons because I know you've been watching a lot of them. Oh, but there's, still, there's a lot of comic Easter eggs in there, uh, even aside from the comic book guy. But the one Krusty is lighting his cigar with Action Comics yeah, 1. <laughs> that is a great. And I think. I think Matt Groening was definitely just a huge comic person oh, yeah. prior. Well, that. he did comics. He did, did he do comics? Like, oh. these silly little, the bunny, the one bunny The bunny strip. one? Yeah. Because what and was... That, that's literally, he got, like, the break of a lifetime. Someone saw that strip, thought it was kind of funny. And they and, put it on, um... Well, there's Tracy Ullman. Tracy Ullman. But, show. like, yeah, that was, like, his springboard into that. Because, like, he wasn't making any money off this. Someone's like, this guy's pretty funny, and I like his, the way he draws. Yeah. Like, and it's just, he met the right people. You know, it's all it takes, and man. I think at that time, Simpsons was probably... Uh, like a adult styled comic books or not comic books, <gasps> cartoons. Yeah, yeah. Adult, were, quote unquote adult animation wasn't really a thing then. No, you know. now it's like every cartoon has to be fucking adult themed because right. everyone who smokes a vape pen has to have it on their battery. <laughs> They're like, dude, I'm a fucking Rick, man. Yeah, man. You're such a Morty, and you're like, dude, I'm a real person. <laughs> Fuck you. There are Rick and Morty comics, and I've heard they're actually pretty good. I That's the thing is there's certain stuff that gets ruined by fans, Yeah, and Rick and Morty is at the top of the list for uh, me. Unfortunately, that yes. Yeah. I do appreciate the show when I've watched it. I've always thought it's been really funny. It's very funny. It's a million people wearing pajama pants telling me how smart they are because they watch it. Yeah. And then that's what makes me go, go fuck yourself. Right. Because you're not that funny. 
Yeah. Like you're not that smart. That's always the thing is they they they, they it becomes part of their personality. It, and, and that's what like, I hate. It's just a show. Like come on. that to me when a show becomes part of your personality is such like a childhood trait. Yeah. It's like when people still think oh, I did what they did in the movie and this girl doesn't like me. She actually filed a restraining order. And it's like, <laughs> it's one o'clock in the morning. You're playing a boom box outside her house, dude. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> like, thanks, John Cusack. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, speaking of, if you have not, uh, this just reminded me of it. Have you ever heard of Chuck Klosterman? I don't know. So grew up in Minnesota, North Dakota, something like that. But he wrote for um, the Akron Beacon Journal. Okay. And he wrote for Spin Magazine, maybe? Okay. One of those, like, early kind of rock when yeah, they I had, like... Sp- oh, I remember Spin. Yeah, yeah. and it, I think it was Spin, but he has or written AP, a hand- maybe, because that was It might have been, like, an AP or Spin, and but he's written for Esquire, for Wall Street Journal. Very, like, you know, he's got some receipts on there. But he has done a bunch of books, one of which is called Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, <laughs> and... The first chapter, the way he writes them is just essays. So if you start a chapter that there's one about ABBA that I've read this book 30 times and I've never read the ABBA section. Like the the, the band? band. <laughs> yeah. I just literally skip over it because there's it has no bearing on it. No. But the first line in it is, uh, fuck you, John Cusack, and all you've done for women. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's so perfect. And he just talks about how all these people are just – mopey people doing really outlandish like uncharacteristic things and people find it endearing and in the real world that never works no you seem like a psychopath right you know what i mean like no one's ever like oh and then he was he just showed up at my job and picked me up and carried me away like i have to work <laughs> i can't leave right now we're in a factory but shout out it, it, it's important that we mention you know the fact that you know there's a separation between you know fantasy land and reality yeah because <laughs> we're talking about comic books here 100 you know? <laughs> but i think it's it's the influence that these things have that some people take things too seriously and think oh that's how it no one under, looks at anything as a parable mm-hmm. no one ever looks at anything like what's the actual message i should get not all right there's a kid who died he's a ghost now and his name's casper <laughs> he's real and he lives in a house, but he's nice. Right. And he's you're just friendly. like, the moral of the story is you could look scary and still be nice. That's right. It doesn't, it's not like you go to a house, you're like, I found Casper. It's <laughs> real. Um, we'll continue on here. Let's see how we're we doing on time. We're good. Cool. Um, quick one. I have no idea about this reform school girl. I initially thought it was just a straight pornographic comic. <laughs> Uh, cause it, I'll give you a, is this like a pulp comic? It's a pulp comic that basically the image on the front is lady smoking a cig in a black little outfit number pulling up, uh, some stockings. Turns out this image was of a Canadian actress that basically just got mass used for a million things Hmm. that, Reform School Girl was initially a pulp book. Okay. And then I think it's, what is it? Yeah, 51. Um, it starts kind of swaying into, hey, let's do pulp comic books because 
you know, everyone's horny, so just let them all have <laughs> it. And I don't think she was the most thrilled. We that can't upset all these 12-year-old kids that are reading these under the covers. Yeah, and it's, it's probably mad awkward for a dad to be like, oh, she's on the cover of my book. <laughs> You're just fucking pictures, though? What the fuck? I mean, I had to read and use my imagination. This sucks. <laughs> I bet so many dads confiscated. I air quoted confiscated on reform school girl. Right. To just add that to their own personal. I'll be in my study. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to let you think about this in your room for a while. <laughs> At least six to seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on to our next one here. Now. Now we're on Tarzan. Now we're on to Tarzan. Um, were you a big Tarzan I, what, what's your Tarzan? My Tarzan is like definitely the Disney. The 19, Disney. 99. You know, Phil Collins, baby. Phil Collins crushing it. But the video game for PS1, Tarzan video game. Oh, really? Dude, it was really cool. I yeah. heard that. You were surfing on the trees. and it was like a, But it was like a side scroll. It was like simple but kind of cool and complex for at the time. Those Disney deal, games, yeah. I remember. Some of them were pretty fun. I remember playing the fucking like Aladdin and... Yeah. Uh, Lion King, yeah, those games, fuck, dude. Yeah, the Aladdin one was good. The Aladdin one was super good, and then that one the, was like a little more free roam, like then it was a little the more time. free roam. Like you, you didn't see games like that. And then, around. um, I remember the fucking the original OG three Star Wars were the huge ones on Super Nintendo. Uh, I had never played any of those. Really, I didn't have a Super Nintendo. I had a friend, and we you know, I only played a handful I, of games on. See, that. I was in the same boat, but yeah. I would just go. I'm a. There dude. were Star Wars. Super Nintendo games? Yeah. Okay. I never, yeah, I never, yeah, did. they were super good too. That I remember, I'm a big video game watcher. That's just, you know, <laughs> how my life worked. But yeah, because I never had a Super Nintendo, but the kid across the street from me did. Yeah. So you're just watching. I remember they had a thing on Super Nintendo. You could put Game Boy games into the cassette. Yeah, yeah. And then pop that in. And the now, screen was like this big. <laughs> now you're playing Pokemon on the big screen. Yep. And shit's going crazy. Life's good. Um, let's see. So a little bit, I'm honestly not too familiar with the whole Tarzan comic. Um, it's shown in 1970, cost 15 bucks. Okay. 85, 300. And by 04, it's up to 1750. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I mean, it's the number one book, you know. It's, it's... And I think old pulpy books like that just hold value because one, none of these books were ever made to last. Right. People were at a certain point using Action Comics number one as insulation in their fucking houses. <laughs> like, and that's, but that's why these things become, they sh- are able to shoot up because once it becomes so mass produced that it becomes trash, everyone tosses it. And then after that period, it has to hit a deep decline in price. Before it can start like shooting back up, I think. Yeah, but then you have a problem like in the nineties, was like early nineties, mid nineties, when know, they started doing number ones for everything. Yeah, and just the fact that well, the the collecting aspect of it was growing in popularity. So then you got everyone going through, you know, grandma's, uh, you know, garage sale bin and trying, trying to get trying all to these the random. Gold. And it happens. It it definitely does. But then but you got to then at the same time they're trying to unload all their crap on you. Like, oh well, this has got to be worth money. It's an old comic book. And yeah, it's, it's not the case. It's the same way that fucking. Who is it? Jim Lee's X-Men 1 is the number one selling comic of all time. Really? It, it, I want to say X-Men 1, the Jim, because it's a Jim Lee cover, and, I'm pretty sure. And it's sure. not worth shit. It's they, not worth Because they printed so many of There's them. There's a million of them, literally a million of them sold within like the first month or so. Unfortunately, the manufacturers are responsible for, you know, ruining these markets. You know, yeah. the same goes for baseball cards. And I think, too, at the time, 
a lot of the things that are ultra valuable now are stuff that when it was getting made, it was made for kids. It wasn't made for people to fucking collect and get. When they made Tarzan, there was no, uh, you know, mint rating. To be like, oh, it's a 9.2. Like, they just thought of it as kid stuff. The same way with baseball cards. That, you know, a bunch of them probably just got thrown out. They got burnt just to start a fucking fire in the house and help, like, you know, get the fireplace going. People just (laughs) didn't. I think... Collecting is a, such a new idea yeah. for the common person. It, it, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, aside from like stamps, you know. <laughs> yeah, and even stamps. It's and now like, you got your Pokemon cards. Oh, I think that, that bubble's gonna burst too. All, though I think all these, I think all the card bubbles are soon enough bursting because I don't think they hold value that way. Mad, the Magic card market's crazy. Oh, it's see, crazy. But I think, I think the like with Magic cards, I think it's a more steady. Um, market that it's, certain cards are always have always been valued. It's steady, and it, it's almost like it's just this small group of people, and they're just trading their money back and forth. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's yeah, crazy. maybe probably ten people, new people a year get into maybe hardcore collecting yeah. of it. You know what I mean? Where and Pokemon to me is just they were fucking everywhere. A you know how many kids have whole binders full of them in their attic that their parents just never tossed out yeah. that they're. And the other thing is, you have to get all those graded. So that costs money to get them graded. It costs time to get them graded. It's like, it's such a process to me. And having a card, it just isn't that fucking cool in my opinion. <laughs> well, it's shimmery. It shines. Yeah. It's I just, holographic. Like, a, a comic to me is more valuable than a card. Like, Pokemon also, to me, doesn't have a ton of cultural importance. I get it, but I would think if... Pokemon wasn't there. Would Yu-Gi-Oh have just taken its place? Would Digimon been the thing? Yeah. There's a million other things that could have been. I don't think it's something that now we're like, well, like, I feel like no one makes card Like, they thought the uh, Detective Pikachu movie was going to bring in, like, uh, Avengers-type money. Yeah, and it's... (laughs) No. I think that was... And that's still, sadly, up there as probably one of the most successful video game movies. Maybe. I heard it did pretty bad money-wise. Oh, it didn't do great money-wise? And I saw the movie. It was alright. But I just don't think it made a lot of money, no. (laughs) I I think that that's the other hard part with... Pokemon's kind of in that that Star Wars realm where it's just hyper-focused around, like, three people or, like, one family that you're just like, yeah, I don't... I want to see the other shit, dude. I want to see what else is happening in this whole world. Does someone deal drugs in this world? Can we follow them? I don't want to follow a kid who's just been bitching and crying. Well, they did in the Pokemon movies. There was like an underground world of like that's the what fights they were saying. and stuff. Yeah, because like, I would like to see that. They I needed want, more of that. I want to see more of. That's why the seedy underbelly of Mandalorian. Pokemon. They need a Frank Miller Pokemon movie. <laughs> yeah, I just want to see something where it's like you have all these creatures and stuff. I want to see how everyone interacts with them. Yeah, because I've seen enough of the main thing. Again, that's why I think Mandalorian is so alluring because mm-hmm. I don't have to hear about fucking anyone named Skywalker. <laughs> I don't even have to hear about like Darth Vader. You know, it's all people that cool. What's going on here? Like, what's this planet? The, oh, okay, this is just like a nothing place. It's very interesting to me it, to it, see. It makes it interesting. It makes it interesting. Yeah, they do and such it, a good job. Of it that. breathes new life into the that franchise yeah that the last three to me of the main star wars were just such a drag on yeah, a lot of mixed feelings on it, it from my opinion is like hey they- i get it yeah you got to do something <laughs> and you're 
with a fan base so strong, you're never going to appeal to everyone. So everyone's not going to be like, whoa, we all fucking loved it, man. You crushed it, JJ. <laughs> like, there's always going to be people bitching and complaining. Yeah. But I don't think – I just didn't like how it's – they let up – they tried to build in so many twists. They did. They did. It, it was a lot of hype. You know, my, my thing that I've said about – the new Star Wars movies is that I felt the same way about them I did about every single Star Wars movie ever made. There were some parts that I really liked and some parts that I just didn't like, you know? Yeah. I I think people got so wrapped up in it when it first started that that excitement just gets pushed onto people's kids, onto, like, if you dress up There's as a pressure Jedi. to like it, yeah. Yeah, if you dress up as, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're like, and I'm going to dress my kid up as Luke Skywalker. <laughs> so if you're doing that from five and going out in public, you're like... Yeah, this is whatever. And I saw a good movie that's about the whole, like, pe- the people versus George Lucas is what it's called. And it's about okay. just the love-hate relationship between him and his fans. And basically what it came down to, I don't know who said it in the movie. They're like, listen, these movies are for children. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry it doesn't make you feel all warm and fuzzy the way it did when you saw it when you were nine. But when, it's just not the case. No, and it's and the world also changes. Yes. You know, it's you can't do a new, a new hope now. We'd be like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. What's this mopey-ass kid doing? <clears throat> like... It's stories have just developed more that it Star Wars is just they need to get rid of all Skywalkers and just be on to the new shit. Yeah. But and on, and on that note, they uh, because we're talking comics, there's an awesome run of Star Wars comics that I'm really into that came out in 2015. Um, it's Marvel makes it. It's yeah. Terrific. I was going to say terrific. the new <laughs> all the new Marvel Star Wars comics I've heard. Are fucking yeah. amazing. They're, they're great, and like the, like the, the run that I'm reading, it's like basically takes place between A New Hope and Empire. So it's just Luke and Han and Leia and the droids and Chewie going on adventures, and it's bad. That's why I like. Yeah, I it's love. Awesome. I'm a big monster of the week, overarching big bad. Yes. Like I love that format to a comic or a show. Yeah, that's like it's like Mandal- that's why like Mandalorian is it it it, it reads like a comic. It, it does. It, wa- yeah. it watches like a comic. No, 100%. The with, way it's the storyboard is so crystal clear, like, you know, it's it's very great. Yeah, I'm excited to keep seeing that. And also, um, I want to – I'm not going to read these books because that's for nerds. <laughs> but I do want to listen to apparently the trilogy, the first trilogy of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Okay. Um, which I think is going to be – Coming into was he a rebel or empire? He was empire. Okay, and he's basically this blue skinned dude who had some appearances in one of the animateds, but basically, uh, long story short, they figured out a way to send this dude into like unknown space. But he's basically the best planner, the best general, the best kind of leader the empire has, and I guess the first three trilogy of books is like the best Star Wars legacy books ever written. And my buddy start was telling me about him because that's who I learned it from. And I was like, oh, did you listen to him? He's like, well, I listened to one of them driving from Minnesota to Cleveland on audio. And I was like, what'd you think? He's like, well, I thought the book fucking sucked. And I was like, how are you, how are you going to hype up a book to me? And then be like, I listened to it. Fucking sucked." (laughs) He goes, turns out I downloaded the prelude. That was written oh. like five years after. Huh. And I was like, dude, what if that's my friend's exact luck <laughs> is he goes to get something really cool and gets the one version that you're like, this sucks. I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, all right. So I know that was super Tarzan heavy for a minute there. <laughs> um, you want to get to 
get through 91 here and yeah, yeah we'll probably be around half hour we are at yeah we're at 40 43 minutes so let's, 43 just, minutes? let's just keep going let's see how far we can yeah. get we'll, we'll try not to linger too hard because i really want to get to well i don't know miss fury but but we do have journey in the mystery absolutely let's do it um so at 81 we have our army at war um i think i was even saying it before on here whether it was on mic or off i'm not a huge world war ii comic person i just war movies to me all kind of seem dime a dozen not to belittle obviously the history of it (laughs) but it's you know it's all these things that it's a world war ii i think this might be so it's dc so it's probably the uh first time they feature sergeant rock okay um sergeant rock is kind of dc's like one world war two captain america captain america yeah. t- kind of but he was more in like fatigues and just in general regular clothing um from there we'll move on to miss fury which i am also not very familiar with um it looks like miss fury is not a dc or marvel character uh from the brief no relation to Nick Fury. over. I don't think that's what when I first saw that I was thinking it was Lady Nick Fury. Yeah, yeah. But then I was like, damn, that would be a really shitty way for them to. We'll just call her Miss Fury. Miss Fury. She Nick... doesn't have a first name. Damn, I do want to know if I think they, this... they weren't even allowed like checking accounts back then. You're not getting a first yeah. Name. She's not getting. <laughs> You're just Miss Fury, dude. You're not getting a fucking checking account. So this came out in 1938. Um, so again, this is, that's a year before Batman. Yeah. So this is kind of right, uh, year before, uh, or the same year as Superman, right? Yeah. So this was definitely right in that realm. It looks almost like a Catwoman on, you know, a Catwoman solo book, but yeah, back in 1970 was 50 bucks, which even in 1970 seems fucking expensive. Uh, 85 at 750 and 04 at 5,000. Yeah. That's a... So, I mean, it's definitely one of those old books. It's that, just rare. That people it, want because they didn't make a bunch of them and it never really went on to do anything else. Yeah. Um, from there, we are going to break into the 80s here and journey into mystery. The, first introduction of Thor. Oh, so not, not 80s then. No, this is... Uh, oh, number 80. Yeah, number 89. 89. 89. And this came out in... Let's see if we got a date on here. We most certainly... It's 60-something. Do not... Oh, yeah, 66. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I was never a big Thor comic guy. Right. I'll be honest. I fuck with Chris Hemsworth in Marvel movies. Um, but Thor always just had that weird, like, old Englishy yeah. style... And then he had the most bogus under, or his disguise was what Donald. He was like, I don't know. I just know he had like a cane. Yeah, like, he, and he was like a cane and like a doctor or and something. If he like tapped the cane, he would turn in. Like that was kind of cool. I think the cane it would either be a cane or an umbrella, and yeah. it was really Molnir. Right, 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 right. And when he would tap it, yeah, he'd just be. And I think they do that in the movie a couple times. They like disguise it or whatever. They do. I think they pay homage to that. Yeah, because. I don't think you eventually got rid of the alter ego. I heard because it, yeah, well, even in the comic, I think it's a fucking stupid one to have. And then in the movies, it would never, none of them have, at least in Marvel MCU, I don't think anyone has a secret identity. Uh, not secret. No, not really. You know what Um, I mean? No, I guess maybe you could say like a Sam Wilson or Bucky, but they don't, 
show any of those people interacting in a regular society. Well, well now now Peter Parker from <clears throat> Oh yeah, Peter Parker from is home, though, at the end of Far From Home when they bring back uh I'm Jonah Jameson's character. And I'm so excited for the third one awesome. on that. I Hell can't yeah. even. I'm so interested. Uh, spoiler, at least what they're saying on the the old interwebs. We're definitely getting Jamie Foxx back. Yes. As uh, Electro. But I don't know. I really don't want them to go full Sinister Six. No, no. Yeah, they don't. I don't they don't have to. I don't think you need to. I think they've made compelling enough movies without having to have a team of villains uh, you know i like suicide squad not to say that it would be the same but i it was not good no and i <laughs> i think the new i'm i'm also looking forward to new suicide squad though too with james gunn oh okay just because i be think good. i think james gunn has a really good grasp on doing more hokey not hokey i guess isn't the right word but understanding the vibe of a movie because he used to work at have you ever heard of trauma entertainment no um so trauma did like B-level movies, like Toxic Avenger was their big. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they did all those movies, and that's where James Gunn got his start at. Was And he actually, the creator of Tromaville, has cameos in a lot of his movies. Oh, I actually do know who you're talking about. He's really, he's a weird dude. He's, he kind of looks like, it almost makes me think of what like a Willy Wonka would look like if he was a real guy. Yeah. Like he's got white hair and he's kind of got like a bulbousy nose. I, I've I saw something a show and they were talking to him. He's in he's in the prison scene in Guardians One. Right, but no, I saw something and like he um he he was talking about how he did Toxic Avenger and he was talking about that group that that film group that he had. Yeah, so. yeah. The Trauma Entertainment was if you ever get a chance to watch Toxic Avenger one, yeah. It is Oh I've seen it. I've seen most of it at It's so fucking weird oh, yeah. and bizarre. I used to put it on after the bars when people would come <laughs> over. And it's just they're playing a game on hitting people with their cars. It's such a good eighties like what the fuck is happening in yeah. this movie that people were just like, all right, if you kill him, that's ten points. Right. Well I think um like the are you a RoboCop fan? Yeah, I think they did like special effects with that when the dude gets hit with the acid and then he gets hit by the car. I can see. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because I think that's where I think with trauma they just were experimenting. Yeah, and I I wouldn't be surprised if a bunch of people came out of trauma that were higher ups in visual effects stuff. Yeah, James Gunn probably one of the. You top. know what it was? I saw this Toxic Avenger guy, the guy from Trauma, the guy because it's still around. He uh, he was on an episode of Comic Book Men. Oh, okay, that so, would, hey, it's that would totally make sense yeah. that he was on. And he was like casting one of them for his movie. They had him like do tryouts, and they had like the foam that like comes out of their mouths, like green gross yeah. foam. Oh, I love I love those movies because it's just such a throwback to simple times to me. I, mean, I don't it, know it's why. It's a good bad movie. You know, you it, love those. That's exactly yeah, what it is for sure. Those. But uh, getting back to Thor real quick, we'll wrap up uh, this Thor story. Um, there is a very good Thor run that's on my list. I actually haven't read it, but I've heard very good things. It was from the early 80s. It's Walter Simonson um, did a very popular Thor run. And this wasn't until like the 300s issues, I believe. So it was, it, you know, Thor was just kind of a secondary character. He was in the Avengers. He would, you know, people like the Avengers books and his character in that. But this Walter Simonson run was cool because not only did he draw but he wrote the, the stories too. Okay. So he was the artist and the writer on the, on that run of Thor. And it brought in some really cool characters like uh beta Ray bill. And I've been really mean to read that run. So. Yeah. I mean, I think I almost appreciate all the other characters that Thor has than Thor himself. It wasn't until probably like Avengers two, even that I thought 
Thor in the movies was great. Yeah, yeah. It's when they stopped bleaching his fucking eyebrows. That and was like, weird. And I get, <laughs> and it was also when they stopped getting um, these Game of Thrones, Harry Potter style directors to direct the movies and make it this like old like medieval like you know Norse god thing. Yeah, it's like this is a fucking ridiculous. Make it fucking ridiculous. And especially you have such a great actor in Chris Hemsworth who has a ton of comedy chops yeah. that his timing is really good to be like, hey, give me Taika Waititi Dude, yeah, to play. Amazing. Oh, Ragnarok is- Ragnarok was the best. I consider Ragnarok to- I hope they do two more movies after that to make that the trilogy of it. If Well, if they don't let him direct another Marvel movie, they're doing something wrong because he, he did is, such a good job. He is doing um, the new Thor- um, which is Love and Thunder that brings back we got uh not Kieran Knightley, who's the girl that looks exactly like Kieran Knightley. Um who was in Star Wars? I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's Kieran Knightley and Natalie Portman. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. First off, I will say, and this is a spe- special shout out to Yohei or anyone else who believes this, Natalie Portman and Kieran Knightley look exactly alike i see it i see it for sure i've been i've spoke to both of them i've spoke to their mothers <laughs> and by that i've read interviews from their mothers that they look identical and i'm pretty sure one of them played the body double for the other in star wars for episode are one. you serious i'm pretty oh, no sure because i know they were in a movie together where their moms were on set okay because their moms have specifically spoken about our daughters look super similar. So ba- my boy Pat's connected yeah, with, with I, these with the Hollywood starlets moms. I know I know what's happening. He the moms love Pat. Let's just, let's let's just get that out in the open. You want to uh <laughs> you want to call it on on 89, 90, on 89 here? Um a little I don't know. We should talk about the shadow though. You want to jump in? Oh wait, what is it? Is that the next page? Oh no, that's on. Dude, but I would say the next page is going to have some, There's some bangers. Some on there. bangers. There's some good ones. They're definitely I'm, noteworthy. I was gonna say I'm definitely happy to. We'll give you a little preview of what's coming next. We got uh, Fawcett Comics. Not many people are gonna know. Mag- Magnus Robot Fighter. Also, probably not gonna know. Sounds awesome. But then we start fucking around, getting into Showcase 22, Green Lantern, and one of my personal favorites, The Amazing Spider-Man. With The Punisher showing up. First appearance. Crush it. We are going to try and keep knocking these out. Um, honestly, me and Sean both have a pretty solid amount of free time. Yes, so we, we might even get another one to you. I think at the moment we're going to try and upload these to YouTube. Um, if you do want to donate to our podcast, um, it would be through Cash App or Venmo at Worst of Pat. Our goal is to get a whopping $140 to get <laughs> unlimited upload time on SoundCloud. So if you're listening to this, you like the shows, you like the things we're putting out, feel free to hit us up, let us know, and we'll see you next time.